Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So in the last episode, we were talking about mirroring, which is a special kind of listening. And it was a follow-up to an episode about reflective practice. And I was using mirroring as an example of something that could quickly become a kind of reflective practice in your communication habits. And today I want to talk about a second really, really simple method of listening that's related to mirroring that also has benefits when it becomes a kind of reflective practice, and it's called emotional labeling. Um, Before we get to what emotional labeling is, though, I just want to talk about, again, about that transition from uh, unconscious communication practices to reflective communication practices. So uh, a lot of us, and I'll try and tie this together in the next episode also, a lot of us uh, will uh, react to people by, uh, kind of unconscious with our unconscious communication habits. So if someone says something to us, we'll just kind of reflective or or just kind of reactively respond without thinking much about what that is, what our response ought to be. So one of the problems with that is of course, when we talk about other people's emotions, if someone else is angry and we react to their anger, uh, we're likely to kind of push that anger away or justify it or excuse it or uh, react angrily toward it ourselves. So the reaction to the emotion uh, is kind of not very reflective, essentially. And so the, the only kind of point I want to make here is, uh, you know, today we're going to talk about communicating about and with and in response to people's emotions And the tricky part of that is that emotions often elicit reactions, like unconscious reactions in the part of the communicative interlocutors. So, and as a reflective practitioner of communication, that's exactly the thing that we want to avoid. We don't want other people's emotions to cause us to just react without thoughtfully and reflectively thinking about how we might react. So emotional labeling is just like mirroring, a kind of simple tactic for becoming a more reflective communicator through listening. Um, And emotional labeling is also kind of what I would call a kind of tactical empathy or kind of strategic empathy. It's a way of thinking about your audience or the other person you're in conversation or in communication with and a, a way of privileging or putting first their own kind of view of the world. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about what emotional labeling is. At its core, I think it's a way of validating someone's emotions by acknowledging what those emotions are. So you're giving someone's emotion a name, and by giving that emotion a name, you are also showing that you can identify with how that person feels. So it's a way of creating kind of a, a connection or kind of kinship with a person through language. Uh, I guess by that I mean, I should explain what I mean by that. I think I mean that it gets you closer to someone without asking about external factors that you don't know anything about. So instead of when you see someone that you haven't seen in a while, instead of saying, you know, how's your family? Okay, that's an external factor that you don't know anything about. You can think of labeling as a kind of faster path to intimacy or to connection. 
because you're using what what you have or what you're aware of in the situation as it is. Uh, labeling has a special advantage when your your interlocutor or the person you're communicating with is tense uh, or anxious or experiencing a heightened emotional state, a kind of intensity to their emotional state. Um, it can be a way of sort of calming people down by putting their emotions into language. There's a brain imaging study by a psychology professor from UCLA who found that when people are shown photos of faces expressing a strong emotion, the brain shows greater activity in the amygdala, the part that generates fear. And that's what I mean by reactive. So if you're dealing with someone in a heightened emotional state and you unconsciously communicate with them, you're more likely to react uh, in your own kind of emotional way. So if someone has showing intensity, you're gonna be afraid. And that fear, if you're communicating not reflectively, that fear is gonna guide or govern your communication practices. But when they're asked to label the emotion, uh, so the, the person in the brain scanners has to label the emotion. And what happens is that the activity in their brain shifts from that kind of fear center to the rational thinking center. So labeling an emotion, applying rational words to a fear, for example, disrupts its, its intensity. It kind of ratchets it down a little bit. Uh, all right, so labeling is like super simple, just like mirroring. It's a simple, versatile skill that lets you reinforce a kind of good aspect of a communicative interaction, or it can let you diffuse a kind of negative aspect of a communicative interaction. But it does have some rules about form and delivery. And it's a lot less like chatting than like a formal art. So, you know, again, by trying to make our communication into a reflective practice, we're trying to make our communicative habits less like um, the sort of habitual nonsense uh, gut instinct chatting that we do with other people and more, like, more artful, essentially. Uh, it also can feel a little like mirroring. It can feel super awkward at first. Uh, a lot of people, my students at least, express to me that they feel really awkward trying it for the first time. And they always expect that the person they're talking with will just ju jump up and shout at them, don't tell me how I feel. Um, but really, in study after study, shows that mostly people don't notice that you're telling them how they feel as long as you get the practice right. Um, okay, so let's talk about the practice. The first step uh, to labeling is detecting the other person's emotional state. So um, you have to figure out what it is that they're feeling. And the key to that, I think, is to pay close attention to changes people undergo when they respond to external events. So most often those events, by the way, are your communicative practices. So your words your actions, etc. If you say to someone, how's your family doing? And the corners of the other parties, uh, the person's mouth sort of turned down uh, when they say it's great, you should know that all isn't well. If their voice kind of goes flat, when someone, a friend of theirs is mentioned, there might be a problem between those two people. If your landlord is unconsciously fidgeting with his feet, when you talk about the neighbors, it might be obvious that he doesn't think much of those neighbors. Uh, so you're looking to pick up on tiny pieces of information uh, that are 
that, then that information is the person emotionally reacting to a communicative practice in and of itself. Uh, those communicative practices may be small, but the other person is likely not a, a kind of reflective practitioner of communication. So they're, they're giving us all sorts of information in their reactions. Uh, lots of good communicators sort of pay attention to, a, to someone's body language and they ask an innocent question. And what they're looking for is a tell in the body language. So they're looking for a change in the physical reaction of the person. And they don't care, couldn't care less about what the person actually says. Uh, they're not even listening to what the person says. They're just looking for that, that kind of physiological change so that they know they're on to some sort of, uh, they're on some sort of clarity about what emotion that person is feeling. So once you've spotted an emotion, you want to highlight it uh, and put some words to it. And labels can be phrased as statements or as questions. The only difference is whether you end the sentence, you know, with an upward or downward inflection. That's not really that important for, for now. But um, labels also begin with a kind of qualifier to them. So effective labeling requires you to say something like, it seems like uh, there might be some tension between you and your friend. Or it sounds like uh, some people in your, some members of your family aren't doing very well. Or it looks like you're a little upset about what just happened a few minutes ago. So it sounds like I'm hearing that as another one. I'm hearing you say, I'm hearing you report some anxiety about this upcoming task. It sounds like, it seems like, it looks like, I'm hearing that. Um, or um, actually, you know, it's better to use it than, than I. Sometimes the I gets people scarred up. Uh, when you say I, it says you're more interested in yourself than the other person and it makes you take personal responsibility for the words that follow. But anyway, it, it, encourage, it encourages people to be uh, responsive. They usually give a longer answer than yes or no if you start with it. Um, okay, so you want to figure out what the emotion is. Then you want to try and put some words around it, but those words have to come after a kind of qualifying first bit of a sentence. It seems like, it sounds like, um, it looks like, this is the case. And then after you say it looks like this is the case, the last rule of labeling is silence. So you throw out a label, you have to be quiet and listen. We all have a tendency to expand on what we've said to sort of finish. So it seems like um, you really like that, uh, that new dress you bought. Uh, and then your instinct is to say, okay, where'd you buy that dress? But you can't do that. A label's power is that it invites the other person to say more about himself or herself. And if you fill in the space of the silence with your own commentary, you take that, uh, you take that possibility out. Um, so you want to sort of strike up a conversation, then you put a label on one of the other person's emotions, and then you quiet down to let the label do its work. Um, so how you use labeling will go a long way in determining your success in communicative interactions. If you deploy it well, um, you can either neutralize negative reactions or reinforce positive ones. Um, now, uh, there's another level to this that gets us slightly more complicated. And that requires us to talk a little bit about um, 
psychology um, in sort of basic terms. So this is not an advanced course in psychology, obviously. I'm going to talk about something really simplistic. Um, so people's emotions have two levels, essentially. They have the presenting behavior. It's the part of the surface that you see in here. And then they have their underlying feeling that motivates the presenting behavior. Uh, so I can imagine my dad being sort of really grumbly and grumpy at a holiday dinner. And the presenting behavior is that he's kind of grumpy. But the underlying emotion that causes the grumpiness is that he feels sad because we only get together for holiday dinners now. So really good emotional labelers uh, label the underlying emotion. And when the underlying emotion is negative, labeling the negatives can diffuse them. When the underlying emotion is positive, labeling the positive emotions reinforces them. Uh, so in a, in a second, I'll come back to my cranky dad at hol the holiday dinner, but uh, let's talk a bit about anger first. Uh, anger is not productive. If you or the person you're talking with is angry, it you're gonna be releasing stress hormones and neurochemicals that disrupt your ability to properly respond to that person. Uh, basically, anger blinds you to the fact that you're angry in the first place, and that gives you a false sense of confidence. It's really disruptive for productive communicative interactions. So that's not to say that negative feelings can be or should be ignored. It's just that means it just means that they're damaging the communicative interactions. Instead, so what you need to do is sort of tease them out. And labeling is the tactic that de-escalates angry confrontations because it makes the person acknowledge their feelings rather than act on them. Um, so uh, you really have to um, you really have to figure out how to label a negative emotion, especially if that ne negative emotion is not the presenting behavior but the underlying behavior in order to diffuse or prevent that negative emotion from influencing the communicative interaction. So let's go back to my cranky dad for a second. So he's cranky because he doesn't see me and my sister uh, very often anymore. Um, and he's not good at communicating his emotions, so he's not like talking about that. He's just being generally cranky. So what do you do? Instead of addressing his cranky behavior, you have to acknowledge his sadness in a non-judgmental sort of way, in a way that includes what we talked about with mirroring. Um, and then you have to head him off before he can really get started into that sadness. So here's how I might do it. You know, okay, hey, Dad, you know, I know we don't see each other all that often. It seems like you feel like we don't pay attention to you enough and that like you only see us at Christmas time. And so you're probably wondering why uh, you should make more time for us. So notice how that acknowledges the situation and labels his, his sadness. And then you pause and let him recognize and appreciate the attempt to understand what he's feeling. And then you can turn the situation around by offering a positive reframing of that situation. So for thus, you know, you might say, okay, for me and, and Kelly, my sister, you know, this is a real treat. We want to hear what you have to talk about. And we want to value this time with you because you, we feel uh, that we don't get to see you very often ourselves. So research shows that the best way to deal with negativity is to observe it without reaction and without judgment, and then to consciously label, it, label the negative feeling and replace it with a positive feeling. So we feel good about this sort of thing because that sort of thing. Um, anyway, that, that's a kind of way in which labeling might work 
in action. Okay, so a second ago I was talking about the amygdala, the part of the brain that generates fear in reaction to threats. Uh, it turns out that the faster we can in interrupt the amygdala's reaction to real or imaginary threats, the faster we can clear the road of obstacles in our communicative practice, and the quicker we can generate feelings of safety, well-being, and trust, and, and those are really, really valuable for the purposes of communication and persuasion. So we do that usually by labeling fears, and these labels are so powerful because they kind of bathe the fear in sunlight, you know, disinfecting them or bleaching them or, you know, sort of taking away their power and showing other people that we understand. Um, so once an emotion is labeled and brought into the open, the sort of negative reactions in our counterparts amygdala will begin to soften. And I promise you that uh, how suddenly language can turn from worry to optimism is one of the most remarkable things I think about human beings, period. Um, we're really, really able to kind of switch so quickly from a state of fear and anxiety or tension to trust and optimism and openness. It's one of the few things that gives me faith that Donald Trump could potentially lose the next election uh, as, you know, because people that are really angry right now that he taps into that anger. It's actually not that difficult to transition people away from that anger if you use emotional labeling. Um, so, you know, that's, it's a powerful kind of, well, I guess what I'm saying is it's a powerful mood enhancer in communicative situations. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think, that's, I think, a, a fairly good illustration or, or explanation of the power of labeling. Let me just give you one more example to make sure that we've got it and why, why we want to make it a reflective practice. So I was at the airport once uh, here, uh, not here in, in Toronto, but I was in... Um, uh, I was in Montreal trying to get back to Toronto, um, and I went to the gate where there's lots of flights from Montreal to Toronto. I get to the gate, um, there's a problem, my flight has been canceled, everybody has to go to a different gate uh, to try and get on a different flight. And right in front of me, there's this sort of aggressive couple, they're yelling at the gate agent, who's not really looking at them, she's tapping on her computer, she's kind of clearly, and she keeps saying, you know, there's nothing I can do, there's nothing I can do. And so the angry couple, you know, they, they give up and they walk away. And uh, so I'm the next person in line after this angry couple. So I go up to the woman, I smile. And the first thing I say is, is it seems like they were pretty upset. So I've labeled the negative emotions and I'm trying to establish some rapport based on some empathy with this person. And so the person, the, the, the person that works for the airline says, yeah, they missed their connection to Toronto. And we've had all these delays because a bunch of flights to Toronto got canceled from weather. And then I say, oh, the weather. <laughs> so I'm, I'm here, right? And the, the person says, yeah, yeah, there's some bad weather in Toronto. It's kind of been all day. Ontario's been a mess. And then I say, oh, it seems like you've been having a hectic day. Um, and then she says back to me, yeah, there's been a lot of irate customers. You know, I mean, I get it, even though... I don't like to get yelled at. A lot of people are trying to get back to Toronto. You know, everyone who wants to get home. Uh, it's a big weekend there. And I say, oh, it's a big weekend. And so I, I just mirror her. Uh, now, up to that point, I've been using labels and mirrors to try and build a relationship with the person behind the counter. Even if it's a minor trusting relationship, it's still a relationship. 
to her, it probably seems like idle chatter, but to me, it's reflective communication practice because um, I haven't yet asked for anything. Unlike the angry couple before me, I was invested in trying to acknowledge her situation, um, going back and forth between saying, you know, kind of, I hear you, I see your circumstances and naming those circumstances and asking her to tell, tell me more about them. Uh, so I, I'm not suggesting I have this intimate relationship with this person, but we have some empathy now between us and some trust. Um, and then she says, yeah, all through the weekend, uh, travel to Toronto is going to be really busy. And I have a feeling, she says this to me, I have a feeling lots of people are, will kind of, not, not everyone's going to make their flight because the weather is probably going to be a problem all weekend. So that's when I know I can, I can come in with an ask. Um, but how do I ask in a way that's not assertive or logical, but that builds with empathy and, and mirroring and labeling, etc. So here's what I say. You know, it seems like you've been handling the rough day pretty well, he says. I, I, I say to, to her. Um, I, I was affected by the weather delays too, and I seem to have missed my flight to Toronto. It seems like the flight that's over there is already fully booked. I mean, there are a lot of people there. But with what you said, maybe someone else is affected by the weather and might miss that flight that's over there. Uh, what do you think? Is there any possibility a seat's going to be open? So I did some labeling. I, I, I did some labeling in, in that little request. Um, so at that point, you know, she starts typing on her computer. 30 seconds later, she prints me off a boarding pass and hands it to me. And she says, yeah, just go get on that flight. No problem. Um, so, you know, what did I learn from, from that situation? Um, I think that I learned how to label my interlocutors concerns to diffuse their power and to build some sort of connection with them. I didn't have to interrupt my counterpart time Dala, or maybe I did in those first moments. She was probably upset too, if she, she was talking to someone who was yelling at her, uh, and I can generate kind of safety you know, quickly or well-being or trust very quickly by, by labeling. Um, okay, so anyway, that's an example of labeling in, in action. And what I'm suggesting is that uh, labeling allows you to move what, I'll, what in the next episode I'll call to move from reacting to responding. And that's really the key here. It's a reflective practice that, um, that prevents you from just emotionally reacting to other people and instead... Uh, supplies you with a, a reflective tool that will allow you to build trust and empathy and a sense of connectedness with another person. And just like mirroring, it's extraordinarily simple. It's just extraordinarily simple. So uh, like mirroring, I'd encourage you to use labeling and, and mirroring together as, as ways to reflectively build connection with other people. Um, okay, so that's it for this episode. I'll be back in the next episode to talk about the difference between reacting and responding to kind of summarize uh, these last three episodes. So thanks everyone for listening and I'll be back soon with another episode.